Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Wilsh, your host. And we have a great guest on our show tonight, Chrissy Newton. And it's funny, I met, uh, well, Chrissy through emails, and I think we talked on the phone a couple of times. The last several years, she's gotten us some great guests um, in the UFO world. And uh, I always knew her as a publicist that uh, had really great UFO uh, guests for engaging in this topic. And then all of a sudden I saw a little while ago, what, what, Chrissy's speaking somewhere? <laughs> and uh, so I, di I didn't even know her well enough to know that she had a, a lifelong interest in uh, this topic. So uh, we'll be talking about that. And our blog from uh, Charles Lear, the author of The Flying Saucer, Inves Flying Saucer Investigators. He does our blog for us every week along with an audio blog. This week is James W. Mosley considers a UFO crash story in 1955. Um, you know, besides Roswell, you wouldn't hear too much about that at all. As a matter of fact, Roswell, that supposed crash or whatever really happened, it, it kind of went away real quickly within the next couple of days. And a lot of people never heard about it until uh, 1980, I believe it was, something like that, when uh, Stanton Friedman uncovered the story. Uh, but anyway, so James Mosley was a UFO investigator all the way back in the 1950s. He died in 1912. Another really good blog by Charles. Um, check that out on our website, which is podcastufo.com. If you'd like to support the show, anyone can for just a couple of dollars or more per month on Patreon. That link is right on our website, podcastufo.com. And if you support the show already, thank you very much. And we do appreciate every listener and watcher of these YouTube programs. And I'm going to bring in my guest now, Chrissy. Welcome to the show. Hey, good to see you, Martin. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, you must have heard me talking. And I, I was kind of like, hey, wait a minute. She's out there talking about UFOs. Hold on. She's the one who's getting me all these guests. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so let's let's hear the story. You, you had an interest uh, for a long time in this topic. Yeah, since I've been a little girl. My dad had a major UFO sighting with a group of people. Uh, I believe it was like later 70s, early 80s. He was pretty young. He was a teenager. And he had a mass sighting. Well, for him, I guess it was, it was five people, I believe, in a contact of a mass sighting, but a group sighting uh, in just northern Ontario. He ended up seeing a UFO, like a disc-shaped UFO, uh, going up near the highway, near 401, I believe, and going up north to a cottage and this UFO ended up, they ended up kind of like following it for a couple hours. But then when they pulled over, they saw the UFO and they actually flashed their lights at it and the UFO flashed back. So my dad, you know, from, from that point on, obviously was like, something's going on. And then he took his scope. They had like a, they had a rifle. So what he ended up doing was taking out the rifle and they weren't hunting. They were doing something from don't ask me what, but nothing illegal. But um, anyway, there's a scope on the, on the gun and they ended up looking at it and the UFO ended up taking off down the highway. And so, you know, almost like it, almost like it detected a, a, a gun aiming at it? In a yeah, way? sorry. Yeah, it was a gun. It was a rifle with a scope yeah. on the gun. But they were so just looking at it through the scope. Yeah, yeah. They weren't going to harm it in any way. But what they And they didn't shoot at it. But what happened was the UFO recognized it or saw some kind of threat. And then it identified it and like took off down the road once they put the rifle at it with the, and looked through the scope. So, my so dad this was going along a road, yeah. above a road? That's yeah, kind of... It, Yes. Bizarre. Yeah, yeah. So my dad has a photo of it. And when you see in the photo, it, it's really great because you can see perspective, right? And it's on film. So it's not as obviously as clear as we have HD now. But the photo has, it's a sun, it kind of looks like this sun object, but you see the light post, but then you also see the, the car tail lights that are red. So you can see the perspective and they were really close to it. My dad said it wasn't that big. It was a small like little kids could fit into it. And this is way before drone technology, even though mm. I believe they had some form of kind of drone technology then from what I've, what I've known. But Northern Ontario, if they were testing it, who knows? He doesn't know if it was ET related. His feel, though, that it was reconnaissance. That's what he's told me my entire life. He just said his instinct said it was something from somewhere else. And he said, and I feel that it was observing us. He's like, but I don't know if anything was in it. He's like, but I think that it was maybe off planet. He had, he had no idea. But growing up, my dad was always, you know, familiar with the UFO topic. So he would think just through culture feedback loops that obviously it's off world. Cause that's what he always heard in like the eighties and the seventies and before that, but for his own experience, 
you know, he, he said it was unbelievable. And he showed me that photo when I was a little girl and it just all kind of went from there. It sparked all this amazing interest in me and I've still loved it for that day since that day. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, when you, you talk about the flashlight, that's, um, you probably have looked into this because that's not unusual. There's many times that people have done like a, a flashlight or flashing the lights and there's a reciprocal, you know, flashback and right. which is, is pretty amazing to me. And, um, even if there was drone technology, would they have that on there or why would they have that on there if they did, you know? Uh, so, uh, you know, it's really, uh, and back, um, I'm going to say this is probably the seventies. Is that what we're thinking back yeah, I around believe the seventies? Yeah. I believe he said to me the later seventies, early eighties. So yeah, it, was, yeah. it was in that circa time period. So, and, and that was the same conversation we were having around Bob Lazar. doesn't mean Bob Lazar is right and authenticating any of his stuff, but it's interesting because my dad followed the Bob Lazar story for years too. And we actually saw Bob Lazar speak together, I believe in my early twenties at the UFO Congress. And that was an interesting moment for both of us, especially for my dad. Yeah. So. Well, I don't want to get started on Bob Lazar, but I agree with you. <laughs> but, but anyway, a no, can of worms, I, was, right? I was there during that uh, conference. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's too bad we didn't meet back then, but anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a fascinating story and that it was small and that it was going along the road. That's also rather bizarre. And um, is your father still interested in this topic? Oh, yeah, 100%. And what does he think about everything since uh, 2017 in the New York Times? Well, I think for him, he's happy it's mainstream. He still won't talk about his experience publicly because he's just, I think the ridicule was so bad and he doesn't want any form of press. He'll talk about it with friends and when people ask him, but he doesn't want any, he doesn't want to do publicity around it, which I don't blame him. My dad's a very private person, but you know, and he's like, you can talk about it. It's fine, Chrissy. But outside of that, you know, I think for him watching this unveil is amazing for him because he never thought that he'd be able to talk about it. I think and people would actually really believe him outside of, you know, somebody that knows him. So yeah. it's amazing. And now what happens is he used to teach me so much and now it's reversing where, you know, I come home and yeah. I just go visit them and I'm saying, hey, like, this is who I'm talking to. This is what I'm hearing. This is what we're doing at the debrief. You know, he, I think for him, he's just like, he always says this. And I said this in an interview before. He recently he just goes, wow. Like every time I come home where I tell him something, he's like, wow. Like it's so amazing to him. And and I, it's something special for me to be able to to keep talking about UFOs with him and with other people and have that shared experience and and hobby together, right? Um, I don't know if you caught the recently Gary Nolan. I was trying to just find quickly where he was at um, on the East Coast when he talked about um, when someone was asking questions about you know what do you think the possibility of um, you know extraterrestrial life on this Earth? Did you happen to catch that? Yeah, I saw a little clip of it that yes. people were sharing on UFO Twitter. So, yeah, I was Yeah, it's pretty along. amazing. And he says 100%. You know, that's his, uh, you know, that's the probability. And um, I'm going to play that at some point um, on this. I'll, I'll link it to the show notes anyway so someone can watch that. But it's really quite an amazing, uh, you know, quite an amazing uh, interview that he had there. Also, he talks about, you know, the crash material that there, you know, that there is some somewhere you know, being looked at supposedly, you know, and, you know, we'll see, you know, I, I think, uh, well, I'd like to find out more what you feel about, you know, this is kind of your, your thing and, and, you know, public relations. What do you think about uh, what's been happening in the last several years and how people are treating this compared to the way they used to? That's such a big question because obviously in the past there was just so much ridicule and it was also run by entertainment and people, you know, making fun of it, making light out of it. And that's really changed. And I think that's really wonderful. Like for myself, you know, I moved into this around 2017 because I could, I could actually use my skills in public relations to, be able to contribute to something of truth and transparency and an issue that I've been following for a really long time and a counterculture I, I'm part of. So this was my place to say, you know what? Uh, there's tons of wonderful publicists, don't get me wrong, but I said, you know, I've really been following this my entire life, so why not get involved and contribute? And anybody can, but in my way, it was like I can do it through my field. 
And by 2017, that happened. The ridicule was obviously not as bad. And I wasn't scared about getting blacklisted after that because my real initial fear was that before 2017, I wasn't able to work on this or talk about it with media because people will laugh at me and I would never be able to work with any other media after that. So now it's changed immensely. And, and where we are now with media is unbelievable. Like whoever thought we'd be here, you know, and I've been doing a deep dive because my, uh, my presentation and my lecture at Contact of the Desert is about media and it's also about government. But I look at media from a perspective of a public relations professional and I look at it and how media has observed, how media has captured the way that we identify UFOs the way that we use our lexicon. And a lot of us know this if we obviously followed Kenneth Arnold's first sighting that blew up in Life magazine that started from a local outlet, which is you know our champion press, which is amazing, is these local media outlets that have really championed the UFO topic for years, not always the mainstream. So looking at that and then looking at like pulp magazines and how, it identif how we identify the actual look of UFOs and flying saucers, you know, the look and the concept of flying saucer did not come from Kenneth Arnold. The the saying actually came from media, but the way that it looks actually comes from pulp magazines. So deep diving into, you know, before Kenneth Arnold, pulp magazines, all the way down to now where the New York Times, where they first started reporting about UFOs, about Donald Kehoe and having these balanced arguments, which was really, really interesting for a mainstream outlet to still pretty much be balanced and, and positive around the topic and then move into now that it's been still really consistent, which I think is wonderful for the New York Times. It shows that they're, they're beat, that they're, they've stayed consistent for those many years, especially around this topic. And then mm -hmm. where we're going to move forward with them, it's, it's really exciting. And it's been nice to be able to, to have that, to look at media from a different perspective, not just media clips, but media as an entire identity and body, talking about this in publications um, and how they're pushing this through and how we identify it as people. Let me ask you, this is an opinion, I'm asking for your opinion. Sure. What do, you, do you think that um, if this whole movement with the government and looking into this topic, you know, pretty seriously, and do you think that eventually we'll be able to know their findings? That we'll know their findings? Yeah. Well, we've seen if past becomes the future, then right now the past would tell us that we won't, right? Yes. <laughs> because we've seen that, that yeah. they won't. Mm -hmm. And we've seen multiple press conferences that they've done over the years with the, you know, with the, with armed forces, uh, sorry, with them. Um, Oh my God, pilots and and you name it from from years on for and and still coming, obviously. But I would say that you know I'm hopeful that it will change because of social media. And it's funny we're talking about this today because I was literally thinking about this this morning when I got up, you know, taking a shower. Sometimes the most interesting thoughts, and it's because of social media. I feel that this might change, and we have the ability to change it because the average person now is able to say something. You know, it's not controlled mm -hmm. by just immediate identities. It's not controlled by broadcasters, it's not controlled by the government. The way that the government does their messaging is controlled, but the people now have a say to push and to push for transparency. So I think we might have a different outcome compared to what we have in the future if we still keep going the way we are and people asking for more truth and asking questions and being able to almost interact with people like Sean Kirkpatrick, which I think is really interesting. You know, the government mm -hmm. is looking at UFO Twitter, is watching podcasts. We know that. it's The media is watching it. So out of a counterculture, it's really unbelievable how much, not control, but sway, I think the UFO community actually has on publications and in government perspectives. It's not, and we don't see that in many kind of countercultures, to be honest. Not well, one of the, media. one of the, I guess the, I don't know if I want to call it a fear or a but, but one of the thoughts I have um, that could or may or may not happen is that they will use the blanket of uh, national security to withhold things. In other words, if they, I mean, how easy would it be for them to come out and say, uh, yes, we have proof that we're being visited from extraterrestrial, uh, you know, a star uh, somewhere in our, you know, uh, galaxy or something like that. You know, I mean, how how would they actually be able to breach that and feel comfortable about it? Or would they just tuck it into, well, that's, you know, that's going to 
um, upset the apple cart. So therefore, it'll affect national security. So we're not going to we're not going to uh, talk about it. You know, I mean, that's kind of my thoughts. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, maybe I'm I'm totally wrong. I mean, I think I think the world has been getting ready to hear. Uh, you know, this. I do believe I do believe that it would be much easier than it would have been. You know. 20 years ago, even five years ago, really. For sure. I think that when you're packaging something to the masses, you have to be mindful that the cultural impact is still there. And I know a lot of people mm. are saying we're ready, but I don't I don't think we are. I, I say that because it's not that the average person for us, we've gone or going, people are going through a paradigm shift or we're, you know, we're in one right now, or we've gone through our entire lives, or we've thought UFOs are real our entire life, right? Like myself for my dad. So my paradigm shift's been interesting, you know, and not as drastic, I would say, as people that are, you know, who've never, ever entered this topic. So that's mindful. And then looking at all the repercussions from coming, talk, talking about that, you know, foreign adversary conversations, you know, as I can, again, we looked at the Cold War, is that going to be used against us? It very echoes, very similar what's happening now, I think. So I think if the government's going to package something like that, I am not opposed, and not everyone's going to like this, I'm not opposed to a slow drip. And it doesn't mean I, I will, I'm going to stay away from the extraterrestrial conversation and just specifically talk about UFOs because I think that that drip is there for a reason where science hopefully can catch up and we can then talk about this in the most academic level and have evidence to back up and support it more than we have now, even though we have a fair amount and tons of testimonies. And if we're looking at crash retrievals, you know, we're looking at Gary Nolan, parts of the brain, right, that are... Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. Like we're seeing things that are in within us that might be associated with this. So we're getting to that point. And, and hopefully, I think what Sean Kirkpatrick might be doing, and this is not my expertise, but my opinion, is waiting for the science to catch up. Because it doesn't mean that he doesn't actually follow this and think what's happening and all these other testimonies, testimonies are what are going on, and he might not believe them or believe them. We do not know. Yeah. But I think what will happen is he wants to be able to show that science to have it rooted in science so that people take it more seriously. And I agree with that. I really do. Even though as much yeah. as I love the topic, I love the science part of it. And I think it's important because that's how you, that's how you can attach yourself to the average person and explain to them maybe what's going on in their paradigm shift isn't going to be so difficult or controversial yeah. for them. So I think that's where you go. And then people can agree on science most of the time. Yeah. Right. And that's a good yeah. place to start. No, I I 100% agree with everything you just said. That you know, that's really where you know the facts. You got to follow the facts, and you know, so far we don't have that solid science yet. I mean, we have so many things that are it's so close. You know, with the um, with the experiences people have had and whatever type of trace evidence there is out there. I mean, it's and we're talking um, you know all the data, radar data, whatever and visual and pictures and uh video and all that but uh but we just don't have um like when i interviewed seth shostak we don't have that uh crashed ufo in the smithsonian wing yet you know so maybe one day <laughs> yeah because that's what i asked i asked seth shostak from seti i said what would it yeah. take for you to believe that we're being visited from extraterrestrials i'm not saying we are but what would it take for you and he said that yeah, a crashed UFO in the Smithsonian, in a wing in the Smithsonian. That's what yeah. he said. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, I agree with you. It's going to take some time. And I, I hope, I think we'll get to that place. I think it's not going to be anytime soon, but we're getting there. And again, I think people, this topic will never go away. It hasn't gone away for like more than 75 years. It's for sure not going anyway anytime soon. So we're, I think we're at the beginning of some catalyst moments that are going to shift science and entertainment too in the next five to 10 years, because entertainment can't even keep doing what it's doing. It's nobody wants to watch it. And we're seeing everybody's going to content like this because that's where they're getting in the information. That's where they're getting the news and that's where they're feeling informed. So I think science and entertainment will start to pick up and that's going to be really exciting. Yeah. Now you're youngish. Okay. Yeah. I'll say you're young. Yeah. yeah. And do you think <laughs> there's, a, there's, young, yeah. there's yeah. young people that are interested in this topic do you think uh, what do you see at these like for instance contact in the desert as far as the mixture uh you know i i was going to you know um uh, 
the UFO Congress, you know, when I've been there and I've thought, well, there's a lot of people my age, you know, I'm older and there's not too many young people. But do you think there's and I see so many young people at like the Comic Cons, things like that, you know, and that are they show up at places like that. And do you think they that young people or more of them are getting involved? Uh, how does that look to you? Yeah, it's a great question because I've never been in contact in the desert. This will be my first time too. So I'm not sure exactly of their mm -hmm. audience, but I can speak to UFO Congress. When I started going in around like 25, between 20 and 25 with my dad, I was legitly like the youngest person there. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking that. And let's be honest, like it's in Arizona. You have tons of people that are snowboarding and want to go to the conference when it was in February. Yeah. That's when we would go. So you're going to get yeah. a, a larger demographic of that. So mm -hmm. you have that as to keep in mind. But just in general, yeah, I was one of the youngest people there and, and also one of the only females, which I found was interesting. But yeah, <laughs> uh, and there were there are women, but for sure, it's more prom predominantly men. And it's, you know, it's changing. So I would say in conference, depending on how the conference is presented moving forward in the future, young people will attach themselves. I think because it's in the mainstream media, there are shows like this, there's interest in UFOs. I think it's there. The really young generation, they are curious. And I asked this, like I asked them or I asked my friends that have children, I talked to them about it. I had a really good friend of mine that's a director. He called me and he's like, my son is doing I forget one type of project, if it was an essay or something to that extent, and that said it was on UFOs. And he said, can you talk to him so he can quote you in his project? And I said, yeah, hundred yeah. percent, let's cool. talk. Fine. So yeah. we were in, I think we were on a speaker and in, in his car and his son was about 10 years old, I believe between 10 and 12 and had these wonderful questions about science in UFOs. And I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm not a science, I'm PR side and I do more journalistic stuff, but um, I, can, I can speak to the landscape. So we chatted about it and his interest and his questions were really great in that it made me really hopeful. And I was also really amazingly surprised with my friend because I'm like, you're a very open-minded father. Thank you mm -hmm. for even going to like sources to fact check stuff, to teach him how to do that and be able to ask really great questions. So when I see stuff like that, I it makes me very hopeful. I look at like Christina Gomez, for example. Yes. You know, she's like yeah. 20, yeah. 22, I think, super yeah. young. She's doing a great job. Yeah. yeah, and she's trying, she's doing her best and she's learning and navigating. So I think it's there. And I hope because she's such, she's such a bright young woman, like she really is. And I hope that she keeps doing what she's doing and bringing other women into that are around her age and, and men, but, you know, it's mm -hmm. nice because they're looking at this from a different perspective than maybe we would. And also they're the ones that are going to move this forward. You know, I'm, that's I'm right. 39 and going to be 40 in January. So anyone that's 20 years younger, younger than me will be the next guard too. We just have to keep educating and keep asking good questions and keep focusing again on science because I think we'll get our answers there. And the new generation will be more inquisitive and new scientists that are coming in that are young won't feel so scrutinized for asking right. really difficult or let's say weird as they would classify um, topics yeah. that are fringe. Instead, it will just become normal, which is exciting. Yeah. yeah, I think that is exciting. I think we we've seen science sort of turn that way. People like Avi Loeb and you know, there's a number of people at the SCU and all that. And it's a great thing because you know, we've needed that. And I remember when I first started doing the show uh, 12 years ago, I was saying, you know, what's it going to take for science to take a look at this? I mean, isn't this the most amazing topic in the world if it could be cracked? You know, I mean, really, where are these things coming from? I don't care if they're extraterrestrial or if they're coming from the center of the earth, you know, wherever they're coming from. It's just an amazing thing um, it is. because it's an unexplainable. We, and I just think it would be very interesting, uh, the most interesting thing that we can learn. But you know, most, most people, uh, you know, we have to live, we have to survive. Uh, we look at our phones all day, you know, we're, we don't look up in the sky too often. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's a lot of people that this is not even on their agenda in any type of way. And if they heard about, um, there are some people too, also that if you told them, oh yeah, um, there's, there was a landing on the White House lawn. I'm just saying that because everyone always says that. Right. And, um, you know, so and they would say, oh, yeah, OK, what's for breakfast? You know, and um, I think I have a sister like that. Now, 
my sister's like that. I brought my sister here. Um, she helped me out when I uh, had surgery uh, last year. And so I sat her down. I said, okay, now we're going to watch the Ariel incident, the Ariel school incident. We're going to watch all this stuff. And I'd show her one thing after another, one thing after another. And she goes, well, what's for dinner? You know, she had so absolutely scary. no interest. It didn't do anything. Now, my brother-in-law, uh, PhD in chemistry, Los Alamos labs uh, for 30 years or whatever it was. And I said wow. to him, I said, his name is Wilbur. And I said, hey, Wilbur, what do you think about uh, the possibility of extraterrestrials visiting us here on Earth? And he said, well, you know, I think it's very possible. You know, and here's a, uh, he's just a purebred scientist. And for him to say that, and then my sister who's married to him is like, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's true. My family, my sister doesn't, doesn't really care for this topic. Hasn't for years would say stuff, you know, like everyone knows of Paul Helliard in Canada, the former um, minister yeah. of defense, right. That passed away years ago, unfortunately, and such yeah. an amazing man. And I know people have their own thoughts. I've met Paul. I went to his book signings. You know, I've sat with him in his house and talked about UFOs. Like he's just, he was a oh. great man. He's a, yeah, he was a gentle giant and he meant so well. And, you know, everyone called him a kook too. And I remember my sister the one time said the same thing at a dinner table. And I was like, well, everyone just says he's a kook. And I'm like, but that's what everybody says around this. And this, this is before 2017, right? So I think that's consistent. You know, and we hear it all the time. It, it's getting better, but I agree. Some people just don't care. Or they say, well, how does it affect me? And I say, well, you know, if I, if the government comes forward and says, multiple could be multiple things doesn't mean it's true but possible theories right they're walking among us they are extraterrestrial they're interdimensional you know so many they're they're time travelers there's so many i just won't go to work anymore like i just i'd be like i quit like i i to me i laugh because i'm like why am i working like why wouldn't i and to be honest i should probably just live my life the way i, I tried to live my life the way that you know if that was the case that I would still just keep doing podcasting and all the stuff that I'm doing around UFOs. But mm -hmm. a part of me is like, I think that structure would break down because if I think that lots of people would, I'm like, well, what if, if aliens are walking among us and they're here already or things are going on, then there's something going on in the system that I know nothing about. Then does my reality, is it even real? And that's the question of many people will have. It's a very, you know, it, it's a hard question to ask, obviously, and people have thought about it with simulation theory and that. But I think that initially some people will go, okay, well, yeah, whatever, I don't care and move on with their day. But some people mm -hmm. will stop and really question their existence and and mm -hmm. and wonder and really look inside and it would slowly kind of think eat at you, right? Because you mm -hmm. would you would look at everything around you and if the reality is what you're seeing and what you've been told and what you've learned in your entire life. That's how I see it. And even though I've gone through the paradigm shift, I think about those moments and I always joke around. I'm like, why am I going to work then? Like, why would I go to work? You know, I don't think any yeah. of us would. And I, I actually have done this as a test with friends when, before I bought my house, I had a condo and it was, uh, there was like a balcony and it was pretty high. It was like 10th floor. And I would sit with friends on the balcony and they would ask me questions about UFOs. And I said, okay, let's do an exercise. I'm like, let's, look out the balcony and if you saw a craft you know like hang out in in front of you for days on end like district nine would you go to work and they're like that's a good point i'm like exactly i'm like most people wouldn't i'm like because you'd be like what is that massive insane craft that's the size of the moon or larger you know hanging out on top of i live in toronto i'm like hanging out you know by the cn tower you you wouldn't go to work like no i don't think yeah. anybody would and if you did i would question that to be honest so that's usually what we do and then people stop because you make them you put them in a position to actually yeah. visual, visualize it and be able mm -hmm. to like think of it and imagine it in front of you and what that moment would feel like so i i try to uh, weirdly enough i try to do that a lot to see how i'd react to it yeah <laughs> Um, have you ever heard of this guy named Donald Hoffman? Yes. Yeah. 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 That name, um, yeah. He basically kind of says in a way that, you know, whatever we think our reality, um, it does not really exist. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I, I heard someone, I mean, this guy is really something. He was on uh, Lex Friedman, I think. Uh, but Donald Hoffman's reality is an illusion and how, evolution hid the truth 
Now I'm Lex Friedman. I said, if you're interested in any of this topic and you're you're watching this, uh, I strongly suggest you listen to this guy. It's really fascinating, really fascinating. It really makes you rethink everything after you listen to that. Um, here's a, a question that came uh, in the chat here. Do you think, this is from Dr. Richard, do you think that the ETs might design their presentations, quote unquote, to get our media to produce content that furthers their own goals in some way? Interesting question. Very interesting. Hi, Dr. Richard. Uh, I would say right now, we obviously don't have any evidence that they're influencing anything that we're doing. Do I think in the future? I think the only way that you'd ever have an influence is when you have you know contact that is national and everybody's talked about it and there's a press release and you have some form of you know, we use the word disclosure that, you know, some ET presence is there. So no, I don't think they're personally interfering with it now, but I, you never know in the future if we actually did have contact, but that's why we're putting together, we're looking at legislation. Like I did an interview with Danny Sheehan uh, two weeks ago, or sorry, last week, my fault that it aired. And we talked about legislation and I had him break down the legislation with me. And that reason why and again, I bring back to social media and the reason why people are so wonderful to champion this topic is that so when we look at exopolitics or anything in legislation, we're we're moving legislation forward for moments like that of any form of contact and what that's going to look like. So we have to make sure as people in North America, I say this, I am Canadian, but I am play in both fields that even in the Canadian side, we have a UFO office now that we have to look at that legislation is actually in in the right space for the right people and for when that happens. And it doesn't mean that everybody knows, but it has to be collective. And I feel that as a community and a counterculture, we're, we're generally pretty good at self-governing and asking for truth and looking to make things properly uh, accurate as possible. So I think where we're going to go through those moments and it's going to take years, but we will get to a form of legislation at some point that probably has something to do with that. Um, at some point when we get into more exopolitics, but we're watching like literally the beginning of all of this, which I think is really cool and mm. very important that all of us know what is going on so that we can have some form of influence or say, or just be updated on what policies are putting forward because people's children and everyone else is going to have to live with this for years to come. Right. Um, I've, I've been trying to get, as you, as you know, cause I've talked to you about this, I've been trying to get Danny Sheehan on my show for yeah. a while now. Hopefully um, he will be at some point, but yeah, he's, uh, he's quite an amazing guy. And uh, isn't, he's a very well educated too, right? Isn't he like, Oh yeah. Harvard oh, yeah. Or something? I can't remember. But yeah. Danny still, is, yeah. Danny has an uh, outside of UFO related, the topics he has championed civil rights and I have so much respect for him. He's championed the mm. indigenous communities and has done stuff with like with boarding schools to stop that. Like it's, it's pretty unbelievable what he's done. So outside of that, I think he means really well. And he's really looked at the legislation and he's working with whistleblowers currently too that have testified to Sean Kirkpatrick. So he will probably have a lot more to say in the months to come. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I couldn't, a lot of people, you talk about Sean Kirkpatrick, his name's come up a few times. You know, when I, I was kind of disappointed in Sean, um, you know, uh, the last... I was watching um, the hearing, um, but, you know, I mean, I also have respect for him too, but there was a rumor going around. I wondered if you had heard this, that he himself had had a UFO sighting. Did you hear anything about that? No, no. I've never heard that. No. <laughs> well, if he did, he's probably not going to let anyone know. No. But, uh, yeah. And that might, that might be just, just a plain rumor. But um, so um, it really would be very interesting to know what, they are hearing that we don't know that they're hearing. Now I know that there's been some test testimony and from some people I know that have been on this show that, uh, for instance, Bob Salas, and there's a number of people that have uh, testified directly to them. And, um, you know, I mean, like you said earlier, you know, maybe they believe and maybe they don't, you know, maybe that's, that's where it is at this point. But I think this thing about amnesty for the whistle, whistleblowers or whatever you want to call it is just a wonderful thing. And I think it really will loosen up. The more people find out about that, um, the more I think it's going to be helpful. And uh, John Ramirez from the CIA, um, 
he's he's excited about some things uh, according to him you know things are moving along but i don't know for sure i just had some back and forth with him a little bit that's amazing i john's john's a gem too and the stuff that he's yeah. done and his presentations if anyone's at a conference go see it because they're they're really great like they're really really good um i agree I, I you know i think sean kirkpatrick's doing his best it's not an easy place to sit when you have no. everybody online watching you he knows that yeah. Again, you have so much information and you can only put forward to Congress or in any hearing uh, information that you feel is validated and you can show evidence for. He's just doing the best job he can as a scientist. So I don't think we all, a lot of people shouldn't rag on him too much for that because he is trying to work for us. And I know Danny Sheehan said in my interview that, you know, it's not reactive. He's not going out and searching for it. He's having Congress give him the information instead of him going out and looking at it. And so, for example, like we look at Project Blue Book, we look at Project um, Project Sign, we look at Project, I always call it grunge. grunge. Grudge. I know, I always call it Project Grunge, I'm like from the 90s. I always do that yeah. all the time. Um, it's not Project <laughs> Grudge. Um, and then, you know, we, and then we look from ATIP and everywhere else. We've seen that people have gone out to find this information too. It's the opposite. And Danny Sheehan was really correct when he said that to me. And I never thought about that until last week, where hmm. he's taking a real passive role which is interesting. He's having people come to him with stories and analyzing, but he's not really out looking for it. There will be one point where there's a public portal and he speaks about that in the hearing. So I'm curious to see what that's going to look like and what the protections for privacy will be and what information. And we know this in the UAP space that anything is a public portal. I'm more concerned about because you're getting mass amounts of data Right. That is given for free. And let's be honest, there's more issues related to health concerns with UAPs that could be submitted that could potentially, I don't want to use the word used against us because it's such a conspiratorial thing. Um, but well, I know knows, exactly where you're going. You're right. Right. Yeah. And I, that's more of my concern. I'm like, who's doing the public portal? Is this a private company that's doing a, por a, a portal, a public portal? Is this a government thing? How is this regulated? Where is the information going? Who's keeping it? Where is it being stored? Is it access for the general public? Like there's so many questions around that that I'm more concerned about personally than I would say, you know, right now, let, let's talk about uh, aliens because like, we're not at that point yet. And I don't think we mm. will be. And I know everybody really wants it and they're championing it, but we, it has to take some time. Um, this is the first time he's ever spoke live. So we need to give him time to show his efforts and what he's doing. You know, he's writing papers with Avi Loeb. So you know, everyone's a critic. Everyone's going to somehow be down on him because people that have been interested in this topic for years are going to say, you know, alien or ET, right? But we need to wait to see, I think, more evidence and obviously have the science pick up and then ask questions around what governments or what the government's doing, again, with the public portal and everything else. Because to me, I think that's more, that is way more important, I think, at this point, because dissemination of information is the way that you know, through media or how all the information that they're getting is a way to talk to the masses or be able to persuade the masses. So we have to be mindful of that. When you when the term is out there, like a lot of people have a, a sighting and it's so spectacular. And I had the thought too when I had my sighting was that it's not of this earth. You know, basically it's yeah. whatever it is, it's, it can't be of this earth or it's nothing that I could imagine. Um, but that that being, it's it's maybe alien to us, but we can't say that we know where where they're from. Whatever it is, we, we have no idea where where it's from. Whether even though it's alien to not to us, it may not be extraterrestrial. It may be something else. But um, what I'm worried about in this public portal, and kind of where I think you were were going, maybe not. But the wheat from the chaff, you know, I mean, all they would just be absolutely flooded oh, with, yeah. um, you know, for anyone that have, has seen a, you know, uh, a Chinese lantern, you know, on. And it would be very, very hard to sort out. I mean, you know, like Peter Davenport is like a one man band. They should put him in charge of fielding that portal, you know, uh, 
Well, I but, look at private entities like Enigma Labs and, you know, we oh, don't yes. know much yeah. about them. And they've said right. they've met. With Alejandro you. Rojas is involved right. in that. And yeah. I love Good Alejandro. Friend. Yeah, yeah I love Alejandro. Friend. I just yeah. ask questions about um, transparency with them. And that that's where I ask is where's your transparency? And also, uh, if you're going to be working with Sean Kirkpatrick creating this public portal, then we need to see those private identities. If it's not even Enigma Labs, whoever it is, what are the transparency? And I like to see it listed. I like to see what you're going to do with it. And if you're working with private companies, are they going to be able to be FOIA? Are we going to request FOIAs from them? Because you can't legally uh, because of private companies are protected that That's way. Right. That's right? right. So we need mm -hmm. to be able to say, no, this needs to be FOIA because this is our information. This is the public's people information that's submitting. We need to be able to know what you know and to have those conversations too, because they can't be protected under that under that act, or I'm not sure exactly what it would be called, but they are protected. So there's lots of loopholes that you can get around. So I think if- It needs like a triage or something, something to get you know, through yeah. some filters before it can get into something important like that, in my opinion. You know, otherwise, I mean, they're just going to be inundated with all kinds of, I'm not saying kooks, because there could be, you know, a lot of legitimate people, but it's just has to be filtered in. That's the only way I can, can put it. Well, um, my, my thoughts to that would be now thinking of it would be corporate identities are not allowed to have any stake in this whatsoever. None in the UAP conversation for data yeah. collecting and big data because they can sell it and make millions to billions off people's personal data. They can breach mm. people's trust. I would say then the private companies are not allowed to do it. I would say educational institutes are where this has to be. Partner with That's, Harvard, partner with Stanford. Yeah, yeah, partner with them because they're the ones that will be able to look at academically, look at this and be able to create really strong structures. Oops. I don't know. So I, I was trying to that, put, yeah, put another one up and that one came up by accident. It's so. okay. I, I think that's where yeah. we just, we need to go with that and leave corporate identities out because the corruption we've seen through politics and everything else shows us that corporate is not the way to do these things. I would say, let's leave it to the academics in education. Here's a, a question that came in and uh, abduction, you know, uh, whatever experiencers or whatever you want to call them. That's, that's like, um, you know, I do get into that here, here and there on this show. Um, not a lot, but every once in a while, I'll, I'll talk about it. Yeah. And uh, um, I have, I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, abductions, um, not, not all of them, but um, I guess the mixed feelings I have about abductions is the claims that there's so many of them going on, and there's people are going to get angry at me, but there, there is some some of them have uh, probably do come from sleep paralysis but not all of them i think some of them are definitely legitimately something and i'm being very careful how i say this because i know i'm going to get a lot of hate mail if i say uh that um all of them are i don't believe all of them are uh sleep you know sleep problems or things like that i think some of them do have an amazing you know, quality to them. Yeah. And also the fact that uh, if we are being visited by whoever we're being visited from, I don't think it would be unusual for them to take a specimen and examine and then, you know, release or whatever. Um, so I think, you know, it is very possible something's happening. But uh, so can we answer this person's question after my long yeah, no. <laughs> deliberation? It's yeah. challenging because I have a lot of empathy for people that have had experiences because I anything that's real and that creates any form of trauma that and you have to find a group of people that you can relate to because not everyone's experiencing it. That's not easy. Like we've all dealt with some form of trauma and finding people to relate to and believe you uh, can be very hard and it can really play in your mental health. So I feel for any of those people that have gone through it. I also look at some of it as sleep paralysis. I have a friend recently that said to me he had, you know, he woke up in the middle of the night frozen, but he had these like aliens around him and then he broke out of the sleep paralysis and then it, they disappeared. 
So that legitimately yes. was sleep paralysis for him. And I believe that yeah. some elusive dreaming is part of it. For So for sure, there's something going on there. But there is a small group, a very, very small group as well that are having experiences. And are they related to, to UFOs? Yes. Is there an ET phenomenon potentially related to it? Yes, we don't know. It also could be many other things that we have no idea about or of any perception to That's what's right. actually happening. And yeah. and who knows if it's interdimensional. Like it could be something totally outside of the UFO topic that is just somehow connected. But it, there's something going on and I don't know what it is and I think that we will come to a point where we will hopefully figure it out and this is why I love like love Gary Nolan's work for like looking at the center of the brain and there's an area called the cotypotamen that's he's been able to identify that hereditary uh hereditarily like people have this in their brain and so it's enlarged we all have it but people that have had multiple different experiences have an overlarged cotypotamin and so that's really interesting are they and then the question to that is are they able just to see it and perceive it because of the overlarged cotypotamin um or is it just happening to them because of the large cotypotamin? Like there's so many questions. So I think Gary Nolan's on the right track and I will forever follow him and try to speak with him about that because I think the neurology is a huge part of how we experience anything related to UFOs and ETs. Yes. And, you know, one more thing on the abduction part. I have to say that <clears throat> I can only use my empathy like, in this way to say that if something like that was happening to me yeah. and I really thought I was being abducted by aliens and going on the ship and being examined or whatever, and they could do it anytime they wanted, wanted, I don't know how I'd function in life. I don't think I could. I don't think, I think the whole rest of my life would be just a blur and uh, full of fear. So I do have empathy for those people that are going, I don't, I don't know how they would do it if this is what they think is going on. And how scary is that? And if nobody mm. believes you, having something done to you, just not even inside of the UFO topic, for anyone to relate and says, well, I don't believe them. It's like, well, if you had anything done to you that was negative and you went and told somebody and they just said, eh, whatever, mm. you would be traumatized. And you're like, yeah. I'm not believed and in any capacity. So take that experience if you've never believed and then you know, times it by 100 to something that you can't even explain. So that, that's how I look yeah. at it. So I listen to people, I let them tell their stories because for them it's real. And that's just as important as it being real or un us unsure of what it is. Yeah. Right. Uh, here's another one from Dr. Richard. If the ETs are compelling the cover up on the pain of some of the awful punishment, then wouldn't the government be right to cover up the phenomenon? I guess that's the question is health concerns, right? Are they, we know that in Project Blue Book, I believe, and lots of other um, information and data that has been collected around UFO experiences that have been extremely negative and harmful and, and people dying from other, obviously, radiation and dying of cancer. So, yeah, we don't hear of that. You know, I believe Jacques Vallée, when he did one of the first databases, a lot of that information, I believe, could potentially be in there. And so that's a concern. And he's mentioned that that is a concern for him, is the health concerns. Not so much the other information, the health-related information. So, hmm. yes, that, that could be possible that they don't want to share as much as they know because they're scared, to scare, they're scared of scaring people because they're not sure what this is potentially. And if you can't know what something is and it is hurting people, how do you temper the public? with that right right well unfortunately i'm not going to be able to make it out to the contact in the desert the things no. uh, i took on a project and it would have been really fun to hang out with you but we have just yeah. a, about four minutes left here so let's talk a little bit about that you know yeah. some of the speakers and uh where this is in what's the name of the town Indian in california Springs. yeah that's right Indian, indian springs yeah, yeah, yeah it's indian a springs. by the palm desert out there <clears throat> so yeah so you must be excited to go I, there's gonna be a lot of people oh yeah i'm super excited it's a real collection of people which is interesting it's not everyone that i would always go to see in a conference so i'm curious to that's see well put <laughs> <laughs> i know i i agree yes yeah, it's it's and i'm open-minded so and i've heard yeah. other people speak so i'm i will sit in one's lectures that i wouldn't generally always go to because i'm open-minded and curious uh, mm -hmm. i'm curious to see to to interact 
the best part about the UFO community and these type of conferences, and, and you know, Martin, is you get to meet people in real life, right. which I think is amazing. Yeah. And then a lot I of fun. Can, yeah, yeah, and then you also get to, if you've seen their work or follow it, meeting them in real life, you get to really realize, you're like, oh, this is like a totally different perception of them. And sometimes it is what you yeah. thought, and sometimes it's totally different. So to me, that's yeah. getting closer to truth too, is when I get to meet those people that have been doing this research. And also just like, thank a lot of them because I've followed their careers for so long and you know, they've added so much to my life. So that's, I'm excited. And to be honest, I know how controversial Graham Hancock is, but as a publicist, when you get to talk to him, it makes me excited because I do. Well, like I, I, I like Graham like Hancock. I know he, yeah. he is controversial, but um, I recently watched a series on Netflix and I said, by golly, I like this yeah. guy. Yeah, I and do he, too. He's very, <laughs> very likable. Yeah. So, um, and, and he really does, you know, put some things out there to really ponder, you know, about our ancient civilizations and things like that. It's very, very interesting. And yes. I don't think, you know, uh, that, that's not a hundred percent science, um, to, to discount everything he says, because there's a lot of things I think we're going to find out in the future about our past that we don't I know yet. I and they'll agree. have to rewrite the book so that they don't want to do, but they will have to rewrite the books. I do think. A hundred percent agree. And it's nice to see somebody who has such stature to a degree, right? He's very well respected, yeah. open-minded to coming to different types of conferences like this too. So it's, you know, it's a new evolution and this is a new way of the contact in the desert because it has new ownership now. And oh. yeah, mm -hmm. and it will move forward and potentially it's going to grow to more futurism and science. So we'll see that. And, and maybe what's going to happen is we'll see these worlds that are generally more fringe and science come together and maybe potentially contact in the desert in the future will be that meeting place where we can find that middle ground, which would be really nice. Yeah. Well, uh, Chrissy, thank you so much. It's been a, a real pleasure. And don't forget to get me Dan Sheehan. <laughs> well, I've, we've yeah. sent him a message. So yeah. Dan, okay. Dan's a hard one to get a hold of. He's a hard one yeah. to track down. Took me a while too. Took me meeting yeah. him in real life, you know, to yeah. to finally get that interview. So I 100%, we will we'll try our best. All right. Oh, thanks very much. And uh, have a blast uh, at, at Contact in the Desert. Awesome. Good to see you, Martin. Bye. Okay. Take care. Bye. All right, everyone. So thank you so much for watching. Our guest next week is uh, Ron James and at 7 o'clock. And thank you so much for joining us tonight. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky.